All right. Well, it's been a minute. Um, I'm excited to bring back the podcast for our special guest tonight, uh, Jess Marion. How you doing, Jess? Doing great. Yeah. Well, lots to chat about. I think um, most people might know who you are through some of your FKT exploits on the uh, on the presidentials. You're back and forth for that golden ticket. Was that a couple years ago? And then the Pemi loop as well. You've had that, and then you've had some really really good results at all sorts of other races. Um, but I don't care about that. I want to talk about UTMB, your experience, um, in Chamonix and, uh, I guess, um, yeah, I don't know how things have been, uh, since then and what you think about the future. So we're going to cover all that, but I guess, uh, yeah, just start off with a quick introduction and then we'll go from there. Sounds good. Yeah. So tell me a little, just quickly your background, in uh, trail running. All right. I guess if we go way back, maybe high school, I've always liked running on trails a heck of a lot more than running on roads. I did cross country in high school and just really loved running on trails, but it wasn't really mountain. I didn't think about running in mountains. It was just running on things that weren't the road. And I think I really fell in love with trail running in college when I was um, in school at Cornell in Ithaca, New York, and there are just amazing trails. Everything's a huge hill, like completely changed my perspective about hills. And that was like the way I dealt with stress was just like run for hours and go through the gorges. And it was, it was amazing. I just loved it. So that was not running competitively. It was just running for the sake of running. It was just like to do something. But then um, after college, did various jobs and landed in the um, AMC hut system, working for the Appalachian Mountain Club in New Hampshire. And that kind of took, that's where things took a mountain turn. And I don't know that I thought of it as running at first. It was sort of like this hut, I don't know, hut kid moving through the mountains really fast. Um, and I started out with not even trail runners, just like hiking shoes, but we figured out as hut kids, we could go visit our friends and move really fast um, if we just ran most of the way. So that's when I started building confidence about like moving fast in the mountains. And then fast forward a more a couple years. Um, and I just, I think I always had this idea that I was pretty fast, but when you are a hut kid and you're kind of just running times against your own times. I didn't really have any like competitive outlet for it or nor any kind of like confirmation that I actually was going fast. So I think it was only relatively recently they started doing any kind of competitive like trail races and some of the local New Hampshire things and trying FKTs was kind of a way to like test how fast I could really go against myself and maybe compare to others. I guess that's a little bit of the background. <laughs> well, yeah, and don't leave out, I guess, some some of the other sports stuff like Nordic skiing. Mm, and yeah, you've you've put uh, a lot of big, you know, what are normalized to you, but big efforts. Yeah, year round. Yeah, and I guess I guess that's true. Well, they weren't all. I wasn't necessarily running a lot of competitive running races. Of course, there were short road races and local races. There were there were definitely competitive shorter running races and then i've always not always also 
I've always been a Nordic skier. Was not always a good <laughs> Nordic skier. Like we're talking shuffling in the woods on fish scales when I was a kid. But in college, got into Nordic racing. So that was always a strong competitive outlet in the winter and got into um, kind of after after the first summer working in the huts, started teaching skiing in Jackson, New Hampshire, and started experimenting with some of the Nordic marathons. So I think that's where the sort of like idea of doing endurance events came in was through Nordic skiing and seeing what I could do. And I didn't want to overlook that. Um, but I also just for, just for context, like the timeline. So you're in the huts, um, during, during college. No, I actually didn't work in the huts till after college. I was a late bloomer. So I did one summer. I was one year out of college when I first worked in the hut system. So that was amazing. But um, I was on the older end and fortunately worked with an older crew. But that was like one summer was maybe enough. I don't think I was going to survive another summer. But uh, yeah, that was later. And how old are you now? 35? Yep. All right. So then just touch on your sister a little bit, just like briefly, like your, your relationship with her growing up and, and trail running as well. Cause she's not here. Yeah. My sister Stacy is, we'll call it two years. It's maybe even slightly less, but she's about two years younger, two grades younger. And we've kind of always done the same thing. So we've always been really close, but we've always driven each other nuts also like when we were kids we got along we were we were great friends but we've always been competitive and I remember I don't know maybe the first thing basically every sport I did in high school she came on and joined high school and did the same sport which was kind of cool but also like kind of a bummer when I remember the first season in cross country I was just used to it and I was a soft no sophomore year was my first year doing cross country maybe and it went pretty well and then she joined I don't I don't remember that timeline maybe I did three years two years at any rate I, I was like holding my own for a while but there was a point when she clearly started surpassing me <laughs> as a runner and when your younger sister starts like beating you it was not it was not a good scene <laughs> but um, and then the same thing happened with Nordic skiing where we, we first of all, we were on a, on a Nordic ski team in Connecticut. So 90% of the team was not competitive at all. Like we're talking stop at the McDonald's rest stop on the school bus at 5 a.m. to buy a cheeseburger to eat in the woods mid-race, kind of like jokester. But it was a great experience. It was like amazing time wacky wacky group of like misfit kids um and it was a lot of fun so we made it kind of competitive and there were some other there were kids over the years who were pretty good but like we were still a ski team in connecticut getting our asses kicked by the berkshire league in western mass and southern vermont but there were some kids on the team that um when stacy started also being a really amazing Nordic skier, they dubbed her, like, they decided we were robots. They had all these nicknames for us, like, we were the dynasty. So now when we joke, when we do these races together, that we're going to, like, make 
Team Dynasty uniforms, and it hasn't happened yet. Stacy's the artist. She's going to make the uniforms, but they started calling her Stacytron and said that she was, like, a version 2.0 robot, which, like, you know, wasn't great for my self-esteem at the time, but <laughs> it's pretty funny looking back on it. So we've just always done the same things and been competitive, and we were always just really similar. Um, and I think, I think it has kind of leveled out in the last few years where I seem to be. So the last like, I forget what year we're on. I should know. Maybe year eight of doing the Berkebeiner Nordic Ski Race, which is a 50k Nordic marathon in Wisconsin in February. And so far, I have the upper hand in the Nordic marathons. I think if we just did an all-out running race, she's like a phenomenal runner. So we we live further apart, and we've kind of like found our own niches to be competitive and and be a little bit different. But then enter ultra running, <laughs> which is not a short, fast road race, um, which she would clearly win. And it's not a ski marathon. It's like this whole different thing. Um, and I don't know... I'd, I'd say it was like a charming story of her asking me to like run this race with her. But actually, a couple years ago, um, she first signed up for the UTHC, the Ultra Trail Huracana in Quebec. And it was a couple years ago and she ended up, I think it was right before COVID. So then she had a, it didn't run for a year and then it kept getting, it got delayed one or two years because of COVID. And so when she finally was getting into run the race, she actually asked if I would crew her. And instead, I looked it up and said, what about if I run this race instead? That's I really so classic. Thing. Yeah. So that's my bad. Um, at any rate, we did it. And then we weren't really sure how it was going to go because we could either kill each other or run with each other. And it turned out we ran with one another. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I have a hard time understanding that because... Here, this is like the first iteration of the the um, American Marion sisters, right? Yeah. And I mean, that race is like, I mean, Hillary was just up there, and I felt was following the coverage. It's like very French Canadian. I mean, they don't speak; they're not pushing anything out in English. Yeah, it was very French. <laughs> but but no, the dynamics of of being like obviously having a younger sister who's very, very talented and it's the opposite where she's like pushing you yeah. to be better versus like you're pushing her. Like yeah. she wants to be just like her sister in a way, but I'm sure there's some of that as well, but to be balanced or to have the patience for things to balance out in a, in a long event like that, it surprises me because you guys being so competitive, I'm so, I'm, I would think that one of you would just say, I'm out, I'm gone, I'm feeling good, you're not, I'm going to like, I'm going to disappear. What was that race like as far as like those, 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 um, yeah, those highs and lows? And I think we truly didn't know how it was going to go. So she, I should say, my sister is amazing and she has done m many more ultra marathons than I have. So I'd say she's much more experienced. She... Um, she's on Leadville, which she, she says was like a horrible race for her. Like she well, didn't, didn't have a good time. So <laughs> she straight from like Minnesota, where, what did she do? She went like no, no acclimation. Just like, well, so at the time now about a year and a half ago, she moved to outside Seattle, but for the last several years, she's been living in 
Madison, Wisconsin, which is not known for its altitude or mountainous terrain. Uh, although you can get into some hills, I guess, if you go north. So she, yeah, she's done some pretty amazing stuff. She did a lot of ultras out there, like this Ice Age trail. She did a, like an ultra in the winter where it was like negative five the whole time with two of her friends. So she's done some pretty wild stuff and she always points to me as kind of like the nuttier one but you know those kind of results will make you think so any rate she's much more experienced in the ultra world so i went into this race last year having like absolutely no idea how it was going to go i trained my i trained like a so much more than i've ever ran last summer i didn't really even do a lot of biking which i usually do just really so i keep i went into it feeling pretty well trained, but just having no idea what to expect um, on that kind of distance. The only other, well, the only other longer distance things I've done were um, the Hut Traverse, which is about 50 miles across the Hut system and the White Mountains. And I did it when I was in pretty good shape after working in the Huts, but on a really, really hot day where they were issuing, the, the OBS forecast was issuing ozone warnings. So, um, it wasn't a great day and I, I cramped for maybe eight hours of the day and still finished, but it was, um, I wouldn't say that was like a personal best athletic, um, result. And then I did the Vermont 50 and you saw me at the finish of that, which I was very poorly trained for because I was injured and trained for a 50 mile running race by mostly biking so I felt really great for the first 12 miles up and there were climbing hills and the first downhill my legs blew up and never recovered so I think you also saw I made I made really good like I wore brand new shoes (laughs) my toenails were all falling off it was I I had forgotten about that but like for off the couch more or less jumping right into something that's completely runnable and much different than anything you're going to do in the way, it's like still a testament to like gritting it out. Yeah. I think for better or worse, I have a habit of gritting things out and sometimes it pays off. And sometimes I think it's pretty <laughs> damaging anyway. Yeah. Back to Harikana. Yeah. So Harikana just like that was my, with that kind of background, I just had no idea what to expect. And I really trust her. I think she's so much more knowledgeable about, um, about the ultra running world and about pacing and fueling. She's like really done a lot of research on how to fuel properly and um, what kind of things you need to do in a long race. She also, I, I didn't really say this, she was a collegiate runner at Colgate University. So she ran in college. So she's had a lot of coaching as well. And, and so I really trusted her. And here I was feeling super confident about um, maybe the training, but I had, I had been dealing with some injuries as well. So it was like, if I'm going to stop, it's because my knee isn't going to work. I had some injuries going on that have been plaguing me the last few years. So I felt like I was holding back a lot in the beginning of that race. And this is the, f- the interesting dynamic when it's your sister versus someone else. If it had been running against some anonymous runner or someone I don't really know, I think maybe I would have tried to push it, but I really trusted her, um, I don't know, her pacing and her thoughts. And I really didn't want to, to blow up and not finish. She would, 
report this like totally opposite. She thinks we started way too fast and spent most of the race being mad at me for pushing her too fast in the beginning. And um, so it was just pretty funny. And I, I think this is a theme we'll see too, where we both, I don't know if it's real, but we both have these perceived strengths and the perceived strength is that I'm a climber and I can do the hill climbs. And the beginning of Heracana was sort of these rolly mountainous things that, that felt like home, felt like the whites. So I was just ready to go for it. And then the perceived strength is that she is just a phenomenal, like flat road runner and downhiller. Like she's just a, has really great um, running efficiency and running mechanics. And she's just a fast, more classic runner. So I think that's that's another theme where with Heracana, we were after sort of the beginning, I felt like I was holding back, but we hit a point where it really was kind of evening out where she was going much faster on the flats and some of these gradual downhills than I wanted to. But I hung on because she's my sister <laughs> and I would do these climbs and she'd be yelling at me, but like hung on because, you know, we have this thing and I and we can't quite figure out what it is, but it's like this, it's both it's both a bungee that propels us and it's this mental thing that kind of derails us. But it just the fact that it's that we're sisters, it's like this extra sort of dynamic that's just missing if it was any other person. So I don't know, somehow with Heracana, we made it to about halfway. And then at that point, we were both, I don't even think one of us could have gone for it if we wanted to at the halfway point. I think we were just matched and we were doing what we were doing and we didn't even need to discuss it at that point it was just like understood that we were doing it together like that it was just we just sort of understood that and I think the pros of that were there's a lot of a lot of night running and we just kind of kept going like that was where it was really amazing to be running with her and just grind it through the night section. And mostly it was pain cave, but there were like some pretty funny moments that um, were like definitely kept us going. Like she, at one point a porcupine ran into the middle of the trail in the middle of the night and she wasn't used to seeing porcupines. Like I have a ton of porcupines around here in Maine, but she just didn't know what it was and like froze and, and like let out a little like and thought it was a bear because you just see a dark small object so she thought it was some kind of baby bear and I knew immediately behind her that it was porcupine so I just fell over laughing because it was the middle of the night um and and she was really mad that I was laughing about it so that those kind of things were really great in the middle of the night when you're a little bit delirious and we'd run by these French Canadian men that had gone out way too fast and then in the in the night had just kind of blown up and they'd be wearing, we ran t-shirt with t-shirts and shorts the whole way. And it got a little cool, but it wasn't bad. And we'd see these, I think it's a very like Euro French thing to wear a lot of clothing also, but we'd come across these guys in the middle of the night with jackets and long pants and just, you know, they were really bonking. Um, and they just didn't know what to make of us. So yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. But then there's, there was, yeah, plenty of yelling at one another. We definitely were slow going through the aid stations because to get two people through is just a little harder than getting one person through. We'd have to wait for each other to fill water and pros and cons. But So, I mean, that race still goes pretty well for just like the unexpected. I mean, you you went through, you finished together. Yeah, there was nothing major that went wrong for either of us. It just, it kind of hurt. It's kind of hard, <laughs> and we just did it. 
so you finish that fourth and fifth and they're like a really a pretty good time at first a hard very hard course um, yeah and as a result you gain these points that allow you to bypass the lottery for utmb mm-hmm. and utmb races so that got you points to get into ccc so the 100k or the the tds which is now a lot of a lot a lot of k <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, you were like, you were on the fence going into the summer about like, you knew you wanted to go because you had this opportunity, you yeah. the points you can bypass. Like, what do you choose? You choose the 100K or you choose TDS. And um, you can also talk about n- not even thinking you were going to raise because of injury. But yeah. um, ultimately, you and your sister go in on TDS together for round two. Um, and I'm sure her lead up into this uh, race was a little different than your lead up but um yeah what was your thought process there yeah I think I mean she's been she's had her eye on UTMB or UTMB races for a long time in the way that I did too but she was much better about materializing that dream and I didn't really know how to go about it so she was really she's really been thinking about this for a long time and when we debated CCC versus TDS I think maybe there were sort of two main factors without knowing without knowing too much about either race at the time tds had a lot of climbing and i said well i like climbing i'm good at climbing that race plays to my strengths and ccc we just kind of knew we knew it as sort of a fast race which i think honestly plays more to her strengths a little bit um but we knew that ccc was pretty stacked. Like, so some of it, I admit, maybe was a little bit of sandbagging. We're like, well, maybe we could rel- relatively do better in TDS than CCC because um, we already knew, like, all these professional runners signing up for CCC. It just has, because it's part of the UTMB World Series and it has this um, extra draw. So I didn't know a ton about those things at the time. We just knew CCC seemed kind of fast and competitive and TDS seemed like this really wild, rugged thing with a lot of climbing that seemed like a strength. And I was sort of pushing for us to do two different races. Honestly, I was thinking she should do CCC and I should do TDS. Um, and then we could each do our own race. And she was more against that. She really thought we should do the same because if we did different races, then we'd spend the whole week being kind of out of sync. And when one was racing and the the other would be stressing and then one person would be done and the other one would still have to go. And then we got into all these questions. Like, um, I think maybe she thought of it too. So if, if, for instance, if I did TDS and she crewed, then that she'd be basically pulling an all nighter a couple days before doing CCC, which wouldn't be a great way to start out. (laughs) It's not a great way to like rest up and taper. So whoever we found a figured whoever would crew first was going to be kind of wrecked for the race that they did after so these were the things that she thought about a lot more so I kind of thought we should do separate races she kind of pushed to do the same one so we settled on TDS in a sort of Marion like regretful indecisive way and so you had you had some nagging injuries going into it um but you're just committed right like you're like I got tickets I'm going I'm in the race 
Um, and was she feeling pretty good going into it? What was her? She had a I think she summer? felt really great for most of the summer. Stacy trained a ton. She's now out in the Pacific Northwest. Has finally has mountain terrain. She feels like she's making up for a decade of lost mountain running time. And um, but definitely trained really hard. But then she had I don't really need to go into all the personal details, but she just had kind of a rough month between work and other personal life challenges and just dealing with a lot of um like insomnia in the last month and and she also had some travel like east traveled to the east coast twice and that really just messed up her sleep schedule so i think she was feeling really great about her training and then just the couple weeks but leading up to the race kind of got derailed a little bit and i know they say nobody's nobody's training is ever perfect there is no perfect training but i think she trained really well and then just the mental derailment of of getting thrown off at the end. Um, neither of us went into it feeling very confident. It definitely wasn't the training, the perfect training that either of us envisioned a year ago signing up. And I had these, these injuries that um, I think just, I've never really had a, a coach and I've just jumped into running, navigating it on my own and have just developed some sort of mechanical things that developed into overuse injuries over time that I've kind of ignored. And now I'm really working on fixing it. It's just like, do I have enough time to fix it and, and still do this race? And I really wasn't sure about that at all until maybe the end of July. <laughs> till the end of the race. Yeah. till the right? end of the race. Like you're right. probably yeah. thinking the whole way in, this is a 90 something mile race and that neither of you, neither of you had like done something of, you know, this much vertical, right. In a, in a, in that sort of distance it's a it's a huge race um we were really so th- we were really tanking mentally before the race yeah there's a ton well there's a ton to stress out about and it's completely understandable um and then you have the again the dynamic of like how do you guys how do you two race together and what does that look like i think we had even less an idea for this race like i just went into this having so little confidence i really thought that she was going to take off in the beginning and was going to drop me. And, and I would just get to a point like in the week before the race, I I realized that I, I felt well enough. I was pretty sure I could finish if, you know, maybe God forbid, I just walk the entire way, but I felt like I could make it if I just walked, but trying to stay with Stacy, we, it wasn't even, we weren't even really thinking about doing well at that point. It was just, just like finishing it. Uh, yeah, really didn't know how it was going to go. So Again, I trust her pacing, and we knew with something like TDS, where you're starting in a sea of men, most of whom are French, it's kind of an asset to be able to have like a buddy, a partner starting to kind of help you throttle back a little bit and not get swept along by the adrenaline and all these men starting out so fast, and just somebody else to kind of do the sanity check and like say, hang on, hang on, this is, and she was good for that. She's like, this is a long race, like slow down, slow down, slow down. Um, so we kind of knew that we would try at least the beginning together, and we talked about it, and we just really didn't know, there was no plan like, starting out yes we were going to stick together no matter what like we we agreed like if one of us was having a really good day like we spent a lot of time and energy and mental angst to get there like if someone is having a good day they should just go and it we both 
knew that like that might be painful in that moment but that like for sure that was I think we were both for that but then neither of us felt really great so <laughs> back to back to Harakana where like yeah it's like you you both the the playing field is leveled where yeah you're like you're both worn down to the point of like it's more about helping each other get to the finish line than like pushing it's like I gotta keep going you have to keep going there was a point in the first 20 miles where I just felt like she was just so much stronger and I was hanging on and I was doing okay. I just could not go that fast. And we're just like yelling at each other. And I was saying like, all right, like you, I'll, you should just go. Like I'll see you in Chamonix. And she's like, shut the F up. Like you're a 200 feet behind me. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like I keep leapfrogging. You're way ahead. And there's of course some, a French guy in between us. And at one point she turned around and said this, we're just like screaming at each other on the trail. This French guy thinks we're effing crazy. Like, and the, you know, eventually that guy got the gist and he skedaddled and like took off. But, um, yeah, I don't think we did it very, uh, what's the word? My brain forgets whole words since doing the race. <laughs> we, we did not do it gracefully. We'll put it that way. Well, so say like that race, about TDS it starts in Cormier that they they keep changing the starting time it started at midnight which is crazy a crazy start time um it it's not a great start time I'd say there's probably some strengths for you guys like kind of like a little bit faster than the the mid packers um in that long like 6,000 foot climb over Borg St. Maurice but if you're that race so it starts off with like climbs you're going up to La Combal and then you have like this crazy um, single track switchback up that pass before the super long descent. And that, that switchback is like, um, bottlenecks like crazy. Like all of a sudden you're like, people are just walking and waiting for people to make the corner of the switchback. And, um, I don't know where you guys were in that mix, but, um, just run through, like, as you're talking about the race, like the daylight too, because that plays a lot in like your energy levels with, the sunrise and everything oh yeah totally i think we didn't hit the we didn't we didn't ever hit a bottleneck where i felt like i was walking when i didn't want to be like i felt like we were able to steadily move but what surprised me was how long we were steadily moving like in impacts of people so i guess i wouldn't say we were bottlenecked but there were definitely a lot of points for much longer than i anticipated where we had to like make a concerted effort to sort of sprint to get around somebody so like that's that's kind of exhausting and you're trying to weigh the pros of like getting around someone and then the negative of exerting all this extra energy just to get around someone versus kind of hanging on for a while so that's where we were kind of going back and forth and i think it was it was sort of helpful we'd kind of like turn around and look at one another and go for it or one of us would take off and the other would catch up a little while later so i don't think we ever hit a total bottleneck so i think that was and that was good. I think that was something I was worried about. So just always pushing to kind of stay with people that were moving well. And you can tell when you start finding people that aren't moving very well around you and you just want to like get out of there. But yeah, it was amazing how just for so long we were so congested with people and you go up this interminable climb that finally I realized the scale of the climbs of TDS of like wild that's a that's a massive climb that was like out of saint borg maurice that's probably the time because it's about 50k right to saint borg and then the climb out of that 
is like this long, long climb. Oh yeah, like so that's different. 6, we'll come. We should come back. To, you're talking like out of Borg. So I'm still thinking in the beginning and in the in the. Oh, you're talking about the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Just in the nighttime, it just goes on. It was going on forever. But I remember you talked about daylight. I remember like counting, basically counting down <laughs> to to daylight. Like I was like, oh, I don't know where I am right now. Like starting in the dark like that is so disorienting. Um. There was one amazing moment where I'm returning around and seeing this this train of just headlamps going all the way down to the valley, and it was amazing. You could see as far as you could see. You couldn't really see too much in front because it keeps you kind of go on the side hill and then up a peak for a while, but then turning around and just seeing lights all the way down to the valley. So there were moments like, wow, this is amazing, but mostly it's really disorienting to run in the dark in the middle of the night but i remember counting down to daylight <laughs> like oh yeah. sweet i don't know where i am but two hours to daylight only an hour to daylight and then daylight comes and and like nothing really changes it was just that like line of demarcation but yeah so you're talking borg if you fast forward there we had we did have we didn't realize at first how much we needed a crew person and then my sister had a friend who was heading out um, and she was going to crew some other folks in CCC and offered to crew us for TDS. And we had a lot of meetings ahead of time about what to expect. Um, and and I had never met this person. She's very nice. But the long... You there? Okay. To keep a long story short... <laughs> They're really pushing bus transfer, transportation for people to get around for crewing and spectating this year. But the buses were a total shit show. They needed more buses and they needed more bus drivers. At any rate, this girl got messed up and she didn't actually get to our first aid station. So in TDS, you're allowed. There's a lot of aid stations, but there's only three aid stations where your crew person is allowed to go to. And the first one is Borg Sam Reese. And we got there. And we had seen her at the top of the pass because she wanted to spectate. And we both said, uh-oh, hope she gets on a bus soon. And sure enough, she didn't make it to the aid station. So that derailed us a bit. That's like, like you said, that far in the race, that's like a key, like a third of the way in, a key place to like, you don't want to get down on calories or refueling or hydration at that point because you have a long way to go. It's like this crucial point. Um and we had given her a lot of tailwind and goose and all the stuff that we were a little, maybe a little bit more used to eating. My sister especially relies heavily on like liquid calories. Um, and we didn't have that. So we took a look at the charcuterie board and said, all right, time to start eating like broth and bread and cheese. And kind of like we were a little bit out of it. So I'd, we kind of shoved as much food as we could in our mouth, sort of thought about it for a few seconds, didn't have a lot of time to process and just had to keep going. So that was, I think that was a really low point for my sister. I think more so, even more so than me, I was kind of prepared to just eat whatever. And I am not as rehearsed and fueling as she is, but that really um, derailed her for a, for a while uh, to not have crew there. So um, I think that might've come into play later. She had a lot of stomach issues and I think maybe it's because she just her whole nutrition plan got th thrown out the window a little bit but i just kept eating bread <laughs> that's what you because they have um they have coke they have like some weird sports drink 
They had some kind of like sports drink, but we were never quite sure if it was just electrolytes or calories or both. And it might have varied depending. So again, part of the racing in another country. You just never quite know what's going on. No, and I, uh, my experience is like, yeah, they have a lot of savor. They have a lot of stuff for like the back of the Packers that are like, have the time to process <laughs> this like full meal. There's not stuff that you can take to go. Not a lot you can take with you. So I ate a lot of bread because I could take bread and shove it in all of my pockets. <laughs> but there wasn't a lot else. You could eat some fruit there. There wasn't a lot of things that you could take with you easily. Anyway, yeah, so you have to make do. Um, that's part of ultra running is like being uh, adaptable. I mean, that next climb, it's like infamous. It's like the longest climb in the in that race out of any of the races, right? It's like the biggest one. Uh, yeah. What? So is it, you're in daylight now at that point, right? Yes. But it, like the, the, the silver lining is that you're not under direct sun. Like until probably the end of it or like past that. Yeah. Which is nice. I'm trying to think. Let me get my little cheat sheet. Like how hot did it get? Because that's like a thing. Watching people, watching runners, they just melt. I From Borg St. Maurice. I feel like not, even there, I think it was starting to get warm because even at that point, like eating cheese wasn't really appealing. Like it got hot enough. A lot of the aid stations had cheese and meat and things that you just, uh, you really don't want to eat when it's hot. So I'd say for most of the next section, I mean, definitely from there for a, I don't know, 10, 12 hours, it felt like we were just in the sun and it was never, it was never crazy hot, humid, but just hot enough. And you were just ex- in, just totally exposed. Like from that point on, from leaving Board St. Maurice, you're just, there's no more like trees or shelter for hours. So we were just out in the sun and it was pretty hot. There was enough of a breeze. We never felt like we were overheating, but I think it just, between the heat, um, the sun, and then a little bit of altitude for that many hours that we felt that <laughs> that that got tough. I think it's not super high, but even like 6,000 to 8,000 feet for that many hours just in the sun with no break from the sun, um, we both started to have some issues. So she had stomach issues. She said she had a lot of nausea and it felt like someone punched her in the stomach. And I started getting super lightheaded. And it wasn't clear if it was like hyponatremia or dehydration or if it's even possible to have both or altitude. But we both had our, our share of issues. So the, like, the next whole section was like survival. <laughs> and so what was – yeah, and so you you two just like, you just like went into autopilot and started – put your head down and you're like all right we're working together did you care at all about your place were you aware of how you were doing nobody told nobody was telling us anything we didn't ask we didn't know where we were we just had no idea we were just moving and i felt like we didn't didn't really probably matter it didn't really matter because there was kind of we both had a max speed like if i tried to push it i just got really dizzy and lightheaded and she had this stomach stuff so 
so was this happening from like what points what like sort of mileage was this happening at i'd have to go back and figure out like there's one picture we took at the top of a pass i mean i think was that before cormier to roseland or is it at the next one before you drop start dropping down that like rock cliff I think like that whole section before Beaufort. Okay. That whole everything from BSM to Beaufort, we were just like, <laughs> oh boy, we were just in it, <laughs> and it was beautiful. I mean, you're trying to remember like I feel really terrible right now, but oh look, we're in this amazing place, and you're just have you're like out in the middle of nowhere in these cow pastures on. It was amazing. You just look around and it was it was really incredible, but it was Yeah, I think we were both I, I don't know that we were I'm trying to think. I think the worst part was from like Rosalind to Beaufort. That was where we were really hurting. That first part maybe it wasn't so much stomach and, and head. So maybe it wasn't accurate to say that we had issues the whole way but like Rosalind to Beaufort things got trickier but then at Beaufort they serve pasta and full meals what was that like pasta full meals I didn't see any of that we were hot and so dehydrated and we (laughs) saw finally saw our our crew person so that was like we came in there both in pretty grim shape like that I'd say Worse than any of the climbs. The climbs are just long, but they weren't bad. They're just really long. It's just a scale. None of, none of it's horrible on the climbs. You're just in it. They're just of a scale that I, I don't experience on the East Coast. Um, but that was okay. You just keep going. But the descent, that descent to Beaufort just was interminable. It was horrible. <laughs> And we were at the top of the pass there. I think it was so, it was hot enough that there were extra, they had some extra checkpoints that were, became water stations, which tells you something that it, it was hot enough that they were giving out extra water um, and we really needed it at that point. So whether I had started out like without enough salt, I don't know. At that point we were dehydrated. We were out of water. We got water before going into Beaufort. I remember the lady at the top saying, it's like, how, so how long is it again? And she said 7K to the bottom. So we said, oh, that's not so bad. So we ran down and down and down. And that part, like it starts technical at the top. So you're not moving very fast. Um, and then it becomes less technical. And then you're just running forever. And just when we felt like it couldn't possibly still be going we couldn't possibly <laughs> still be descending. We finally got to sort of what we thought was the bottom. And we saw some people and asked like how far <laughs> they're like 7k <laughs> oh boy like what we just did so i don't know if she meant like 7k of vert or 7k to the just <laughs> to the bottom of the steep part i don't know it just was like it's like monty python when you watch them storming the castle and like the rabbit and nothing nobody's moving anyway it just what <laughs> we just couldn't get there and that was when we met our buddy um Pierre Francois. So there's a French guy from Brittany that we had kind of like flip flop at that point in the race. It's finally super spread out, but you start to see some of the same people. And so we met Pierre Francois and we were running along with him and he kind of took off at this bottom part. And I think, I don't know, it might be different from when you, when you do it, did it. I'm not 
positive, but it sounds like they might have changed that bottom section a little bit. But you go through, when you think you're at the bottom, then it goes through another several kilometers of rolling, sort of like northeast rolling, rooty terrain. Um, if I, for me, it was like, it started to get dark descending, like that last checkpoint, you know, where the lady told you about like 7K, there was like a bubble tent, a dome tent. And I remember like getting up and over that and going down and some switchbacks eventually. And I passed, you know, I was just cruising, passing a couple people and then it ultimately starts to get dark. And then from then on, it's like the only things I remember is it was like wet and slick coming down into town on some grassy stuff that like you duck back in the woods. But I don't remember, I don't remember like going back up ever. Just remember everything just going down. So I, I think they might have rerouted that a little bit where you might've just gone down kind of crisscrossing the road but they took us out through this like mossy single track um that was very very northeast like but it wasn't it wasn't so much up but it was up and down it sort of leveled out to flat and it but i wouldn't say it was consistently down there were it was it was enough up and down probably more down than up but it it was like not easy that would be so different doing yeah this was kind of our our afternoon i can't imagine that doing that at night but it just went on forever and we kept running into people that are like how far are we 3k what how far are we 2 2k how far are we two and a half k like some people would even report that it was further away it just we just couldn't get there it was crazy <laughs> but so beaufort got added so when i when i added tds in like 2000 19 and it was the year they added Beaufort which was just like the worst thing ever because I didn't need to do like a 90 something miler I wanted to do the 72 miler and they added in the Beaufort part and it was just like felt so unnecessary so unnecessary but um that um there's like a gymnasium that we was like the big aid station and that was like a huge point where like there was a sleeping room and it just felt like kind of like the halfway point of the race, even though it's like further along. But um, what was the scene there for you guys? Well, it's great to finally see our crew person. She had some day old pizza that we had shoved in a bag that I ate down. So Stacy basically couldn't eat at that point because of her stomach. So she was hurting. Um, I I was doing all right, like shoved down as much food as I could. We mostly just needed like water. So we were just filling tailwind and water and we tried not to dally like at all. Um, just chugging water and electrolytes and it was it was really hot in the valley. So we just wanted to get out of there too. Just like hot. None of the food, like cheese was the last thing on the earth that I wanted to eat. None of the food was really appealing except for maybe fruit and some salty snacks. So we like yeah, did the did the best we could. But I remember it being really hot down there. And it wasn't too crowded. We saw it was the first time we kind of got an idea of where we were. Maybe we saw like a woman ahead of us, maybe behind. Actually, that's not tr- totally true. We ran a bunch of sections before that. We were flip-flopping for a while with um Mari, Mari um um forgetting her last name. Do you know who, who I mean? I don't have results. 
I don't I don't have anything in front of me. No no cheat sheet. I just didn't know if you it was a name you recognized. She's she's done a ton of the like sky races and um not off the top of my head. So we like knew we started seeing we, we knew a little bit more where we were, I guess. Um yeah. Just but we did not stick around too long in Beaufort. It was just like shove stuff in and climbing out of there, my sister was telling me she thought she had heat exhaustion and so I was like, All right, let's she was in a really, really low point at Beaufort. We'll put it that way. Climbing out of there and we were like dipping buffs in water and putting it on our necks on the way out just to try to to cool off because she just was really not doing well. So I was doing a little like sister self-care and then we finally climbed out of Beaufort and she just like took off. <laughs> I don't know. She had a turnaround. She was doing great. So- I mean, that's... That's crazy because that climb out of Beaufort is very long and hot and hot probably. Huh. And you gain you gain a ridge, right? And then you kind of like ride that ridge to Jolly or whatever. Like it's a it's a pretty long traverse. Oh, that's your profile? My little profile nice. with us. And just the scale is so deceptive. Like that whole part from the top of the ridge after Beaufort from um I don't remember what they call the top of that little past but from there to Jolie is like on the map it looks like nothing like that just looks like a short little like oh you you look on this and you just say that's just some sort of flat roller and there's a little dip in the middle and you don't realize that little dip is like climbing a Mount <laughs> Madison or something it's just the scale is it's so crazy so yeah that part I think we did not that was a real low point for both of us was that section and even though she was chugging along really fast at the top of that and said it was her, the favorite part of the whole race because she was running alone <laughs> um uh yeah so we had some low points there but it was that was it was okay we just didn't feel like we were racing we're just going yeah but that's usually how it is kind of is at that point in a lot of these events it's like ultras it's like you sort of burn some matches early and then people just hang on yeah so i ran with pierre francois and she ran like 200 feet in front of us looking great and you know neither of us this is the thing like what we have to recognize is that we both have this idea that the other is doing so much better than we are at any point in time and it's bs because we obviously just did two races in the same time like if like i think we have to accept that we're actually quite similar but um you know we always perceive that like oh go ahead go ahead (laughs) so there's a lot of that on that ridge but it was that was just so but aside from just general fatigue like how's your body holding up well that's the thing as terrible as i felt like i just i don't know how to do these things without being in pain and she thinks that's weird and uh i don't know i'm just like in terrible pain the whole time and then i recovered really well like we both hurt for a day and then we were running around spectating the next couple days and so i think there must be something to the the cumulative effects of training for multiple years the cumulative effects of running around the mountains um eating a ton of french food and and just like your body sort of acclimating to it i don't know I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I'm like fully recovered like normally. It still doesn't feel great to go for a run, but in my day to day functioning, I feel great, and it happened pretty quickly. I mean, yeah, you're not. We're not even a month out, but 
just like the rest of it because I think describing like if there's still so much running I mean it's like hard to fathom how much was left after like that that jolly part like I th- I think we both knew though like because no, wait hold on the descent to contamines is so long so long yeah like did you feel like that went by quick yes because well okay so here's what happened like up to Jolie we were just in, like survival mode we we did not feel like we were racing and it was hot but I think somewhere around Jolie there's a fantastic sunset and it started cooling down so you know like that that helps a lot just when your body temperature starts cooling down um you feel like you can start rehydrating like things sort of started feeling better we we're and we um but yeah, yo, you can't you can't think of the whole thing other than we had we had kind of adopted. We're flip flopping, running with this guy Pierre Francois, and we saved him on this. He got a little ahead of us, and we found him on the side of the trail, and we're like, no, like he was like, yeah, I'm just gonna take a nap. And we're like, no. He was like, well, okay, I'll go with you to Jolie, and my friend has a car at Jolie, so I'm just gonna bail and go with him. And we're like, no. So we just kept pulling this guy along because I think we as bad as we felt and even though we couldn't possibly comprehend how much left was to go like we were going to finish that race and i think that's a little bit different where if you're a pro runner and your body's hurting like maybe you don't always have that mentality because there's a lot more at stake like breaking yourself for the next one but we were just like we will we will literally walk the rest of the way if that's what it takes but we are going to finish and there was no doubt in either of our minds that like we were going to get to that finish line and it might not be pretty but at that point like up to that point in the race you're just not sure right like anything you really don't know that you're going to finish but i'd say from jolie on a hundred percent we both knew obviously if somebody had majorly rolled an ankle right you can't foresee those kind of like catastrophic things but like, we knew we were going to finish so that helps. It got cooler. And then after Jolie, I think um, it was since it had just turned to nighttime, there's this weird thing where the course wasn't clearly marked. So we didn't know where to go. They had literally for all, I don't know, 70 miles had had the exact same course markings. And then right after Jolie, there was an inconsistency and they had used the flagging that they used to show don't go here suddenly to show like where the course went. <laughs> So we got kind of screwed up there and ended up bottlenecking with a whole like cohort of people. So that's where we realized how close some people were around us. Um, so there was all of a sudden this big group of us, including two other women that we'd kind of knew were right behind us and near us. So there were two other women and then a bunch of guys. And we were kind of figuring this out together. Like, where do we go? And so multiple people had the GPS course on their watch and on their phone. And we're looking at like, here's the course dicking around for like 10 minutes trying to find just to confirm you know at that point you really don't want to go off course and mess up your your whole thing so we really wanted to feel confident about the course was and it was really confusing and ultimately we found it but it took a long time um and we were like not that far from the aid station but at that point the idea of going backwards like guys i'll just go to the aid station i'll see if someone knows and we're like no 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 that's coming off that like grassy ski slope right yeah coming off the grassy ski slope and then right where you go around a little pond kind of a little snowmaking pond type thing um and then it descends but where it went around the shoulder of this pond it wasn't marked with the reflective markers and so it looked like the course said go this way but there were no reflective markers so 
we eventually went that way and, fa- and found the reflective markers and found that the course did go that way, but there's a big gap. So I don't know if it just was more obvious in daylight for the leaders. I don't know if, I don't know how no one else got screwed up there because it was really confusing. Uh, they just had no markers. At any rate, at that point we were in this little pack. So that descent was long, but we descended the whole way with this little pack of everyone else who's fired up. So there was no, that was kind of brilliant. It was kind of fun. Like we were just talking to these other people in the pack the whole time. And when you're in the middle of a little pack, you can't speed up. You can't slow down. You're just going. So mentally that made it, it felt bad, but it made it easy. And it went by really quickly because we were talking and we were kind of having fun. And you're, and you're just, again, just getting carried by the train. You're just in this pack. You can't go faster. You can't go slower. There were maybe 10 of us. Um, so that was all the way to Lecantamine. And then that's where things like really started changing for us. So Lecantamine, um, we knew Britta and our friend Kevin Hoos were staying in Lecantamine and they came out in full force with their whole, with all of Britta's, I don't know, 10 friends. Um, and they were cheering super loudly when we got to Lecontamine. Um, so it's dark at that point and they had bells and Kevin was running along with a phone recording for my husband Lincoln. And, and like, so that was kind of fun. That was a huge boost of just like after so many hours of being kind of by yourself, all these people cheering. And then our, our crew person was there. Um, that was just, so that was kind of like, yeah, like this is, there's a long way to go, but like, we're going to do this thing. And we also knew, so rather stupidly, but maybe not so, um, we had scouted the part from Le Contamine to Le Souche. So we actually knew that mm-hmm. part. It was, we totally failed. One climb left. Yeah, yeah. One we totally, left. totally failed at tapering because we did that climb a couple days before, but we kind of knew we're probably going to do this part in the dark. Um, and I like don't regret that decision at all, even if it meant we were a little, it was maybe a little bit much to do two days before, a couple days before the race. Like, we knew it. So at that point, we knew exactly what was coming, um, which was awesome. So last thing that really fired us up was that coming out of Le Contamine, someone, someone had messed with the course. So we knew there, we, we left the aid station pretty fast because now we knew we could see three other women. It was like something just switched in our brain and we started to shift into race mode. Um, we didn't. Did you know what place you were in? Nope. We didn't know what place we were in. We just knew that we had gone for hours and hours without seeing any women. And now there were three women right behind us. And we got bunched up again because someone had changed the course. We couldn't find the course and we went the wrong way and then backtracked because we had scouted and realized it wasn't where. Anyway, so that one I think was deliberate. Like somebody had um, with this group of people, someone had moved the markers to a different road and they would have rejoined, but it just, again, it wasn't really the course and how far out of your way would you go before these two roads rejoined and someone found a bunch of reflective markers chucked in the woods. Like it was not good. (laughs) So now we're in this pack again, that we had just tried so hard to get out of the aid station before this pack. And we, we didn't talk about it, but I think we just knew. And this is like maybe the one point in the race where I was like charging a little bit more than Stacy. And I was just like, all right, it's go time. Like I'm good at climbing. And we just took off and it took a while, but we just like really started not in any kind of blow up way, but like all of a sudden it just like something switched and we were like in race mode and you go to that first climb. We're kind of holding on. 
there was a girl that had gone in front of us. She really took off. Um, so we let one person go. Again, we had no idea where we were overall place-wise. We thought we were, like, doing pretty terribly. We didn't know, like, like it was, like, nine on the border around 10th place or any of that. We just were, like, there's two people behind us that are close, and they weren't before, so let's go. And then when we got that last little time to Col de Tricot, that's where I was, like, okay. <laughs> and we just hauled up that climb, like, really I don't know. We just went for it up that last that's, pass. That's just like a big wall with switchbacks. You just yeah. switch back up. I mean, you yeah. kind of pick your own adventure at the start, but then yeah. it's like switch back and you see everyone ahead of you. Yeah. So you can see where people are. You can kind of see the top of the pass. You see how far you have to go, which we tried not to look at. We just were kind of head down, look at your feet, but it's kind of technical, but not really just like switchbacks and you can see above you and behind you. Um. So then we just... We just like went for it. And I knew that this is where I don't know reality versus perceived. But at that point, I just told myself that I was good at climbing. And so I just went for it and just like hauled to the top of that past. We kind of left, started leaving people behind us. Like people were pretty demoralized at that point. I think it really helped that we knew exactly that part of the trail. So I got us to the top of the cold de Trico, and then Stacy kind of took over because I was pretty spent and she just kept us moving and that whole downhill. And then there's this little uphill. Like I think mm-hmm. if I didn't Connecting know over to the top of Lazouche. Yeah. Top of um, Lazouche. Um, what's the, which, which of the, Dumps you at the train and the, yeah, I'm just um, trying to remember which is the actual the resort. top, which um, ski mountain it's, it's part of Lazouche, but the, um, it starts with a B. Oh, Bellevue, maybe up to Bellevue. That's the actually yes. where the lift is. Um, up to Bellevue. If I didn't know that there's this little uphill section, I think I would have sat down in the trail and cried. And I think that's what, like, fully half of the people behind us did. We talked to people later, and people didn't know that was coming, and they all just kind of like gave up and like sat down in the trail and cried. But we knew it was coming, so we just like people are behind us. People are behind us. If we just like hauled through all of that stuff. Uh, and then I will say the only last part, that flat from Les Hoosh, you're still not done. There's like five miles of flat road running on these trails where I ran in the winter, this winter with Lincoln. And I was really hurting by then. And Stacy just kept saying like, yeah, whatever, like shut up. And I was just kind of, yeah, then we just kind of limped our way to the end. But yeah, yeah I'd say from, um... from Lake Contamine, it was like back into racing. We just... I think we both that's felt really, really proud of how we did at the end based almost entirely on like, oh yeah, like on to me into the end, like we pushed really hard. So, well, you have one climb left yeah, and from like, you can start to get, you see Chamonix in yeah. the distance and, um, you know, that, like you're going to finish at that point. That's cool. That's impressive that you guys still had like that much kick left, whatever it was that just competitive. Yeah for the first time in the race, it wasn't competitive against each other so much. It was like, we were work at that point. We were really working as a team to, to pass all the other people and get to the end. It was like, the, so the end, that was real teamwork. <laughs> so the end, you guys, you go in together into Chamonix and like race your way in. And it's like, what time of night is it? 3am. And like, there's no one, very few people around. It's so sad. Legitimately no one. Andrew, I was picturing like at least some, I was like, this is France. There will be some drunken people out hanging out. There's going to be something. Like I was just picturing 
something in Chamonix, and it was completely deserted. There well, were a couple course mark course marshals on some of the corners coming in, and then you hit a point in town. There weren't even gates marking it off. You're just running down the road. I was like, where do we go? And people would just kind of look at us like, obviously, just down the road. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was, I was like, it was pretty funny. And then um, I think at one point I was even swearing, like, what the heck? Like, ah, why are there no, this is a, such a letdown. And at the very finish, they were playing smooth jazz. And there's a little handful of, <laughs> of medics and, and race techs. And <laughs> so every time on, Lincoln says, like, every time on the computer, whenever they, they've synced up the timing bib. So when you go through the aid stations or the checkpoints, it plays a little five-second clip of you passing through. And they always queue up the really motivational UTMB music, like, da, da, da. And that was not our reality <laughs> at the end. So this is kind of let down jazz music, and it was very quiet. Um, it, was, it was pretty funny. I I welcomed in. Uh, I was there with um, when Corinne Malcolm came in. Oh, like yeah. Sixth place or something. It was like yeah. three at night. It was like super – there was no one around. And I yeah. was like, I want to be there. I want to, like – any like American that comes in, I want to be fired up. And it was just like, all right, you came through here. All right. Now you're dirty and smelly. You need to like make it back to your, wherever you're staying. It's just like, it's, it's, I remember bizarre. Corinne, we and talked it, to Corinne cause Stacy knows Corinne now from Pacific Northwest. And she was saying, Oh yeah, yeah. No, TS is, uh, yeah. She had some pretty funny things to say. About it. It's, it's this, it's like, yeah, the unwanted stepchild, let's say, but, um, it's interesting because like, it's a it's a difficult race. It utilizes a lot of the same checkpoints, but it like also it has a lot of unique trail to it. And um, I thought it was, you know, they keep changing like the start times, and they've had issues in like they've had to reroute it in the past. Like I don't know, Corinne's story about like the when they had like the weather incident, they had to, like hold a bunch of runners and wait for the storm to pass before they like release them again. I don't know. It's kind of a crazy, it's, it's a weird event. Um, but you guys finish, you finish top 10 woman, um, ninth and 10th. And so like, did you guys, you, they, you saw, I was going to ask you about this, but like usually, you know, in years past, they've just had top 10 awards at the stage for like overall. Did they not do that for you guys? Um, the next day, you mean in not at the finish, no, but the next day they do awards. So cla- this is classic Jess move. I Stacy saw when we finished, she saw something on the TV of like age group. She was like, oh, I think you got like third in your age group or something or second in your age group. So she she had this on her radar and I was just spent at the finish. Like, like I I was using my trekking poles to walk across town for a while. <laughs> we, we were pretty spent. Um so I was not on my radar and we slept horribly and by slept, I mean like not at all. By the time we got back home, it was the five in the morning. Anyway, we were just a wreck the next day when we finally tried, like we finally fell asleep in the afternoon and she woke me up saying like, I think there's awards and I think you got your age group. So they did top 10, but they also did these, they did top three for each age group which is actually way cooler because the diversity, like top 10, you get a bunch of sponsored athletes and other people, but the age group boards were really cool because you just get this like sl- these different slices of all these different types of people winning, everything from 
like the top three overall to um, folks. I don't want to say old. I mean, like not old, but yeah, people in their fifties and sixties, yeah. like who are also doing it. It was just so that was really cool, um, and I totally would have missed it if not for my wonderful sister, who woke me up and said we should go. So you can look at the video. I look like I just woke up because I did. And I think most other people did also. But so I just by being two years older than my sister, I'm in an age group that I got (laughs) an age group award and she did not, but she didn't, she wasn't upset by that. It was just a, but they didn't do, I see, I was just envisioning like both of you on stage. Oh, oh yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. No, I guess they didn't for some reason i was thinking they did no they did not which would have been awesome they did not do top 10 they did top top three overall no top five overall i think maybe is podium top five for utmb races i think now they made it top five hmm that's strange and then top three for each age group so yeah that would have been incredible to stand on the stage with my sister but they didn't do top 10 what a year to change it, man. That's a bummer. I was, in, I, I was so well. Part of you guys being in the top ten, the excitement was going to be like so cool to see you both go up to get the sisters that go up to together. And yeah, I didn't know that. I think I would have been pretty bummed if I knew that that's how they had done it other okay, years. Okay, well they didn't do just yeah, don't forget about that. <laughs> it's okay. It didn't. Oh well. Yeah, no, that would well, have been cool, especially since she. This year, I told her as we were coming into Chamonix, I was like, last year. We crossed the finish line last year for UTHC holding, literally holding hands. And they gave me, whether they just did it as a tiebreaker or because my chip time (laughs) registered a millisecond ahead, they gave me like fourth and her fifth or whatever. And um, at first they just wrote it as a tie. So I didn't actually realize they had done that. And apparently she's been bitter about this for an entire year. And I didn't realize, I told everyone it was like a Quebecois move that they just skipped fourth and gave us both fifth and not a, yeah, which is what they did for, and then they changed it. So I guess they, anyway, so this year we were coming into Chevenet and, and like Stacy definitely carried me most of this race. So I was like, I'll let you win. <laughs> so I made sure she got ninth this time <laughs> and not 10th, but that would have been pretty funny to stand up there with her. So, so it goes. It's just the way well, the French are just determined to not let the Marion sisters get any credit. So like the, I get it, I guess the so. Quebecois called up and were like, these watch out for them. They're going to try something tricky. You're not allowed a pacer. So they just ran the whole thing together. Like, so we're not given, we're going to skip fourth, give them fifth. And they called up. They're like, don't let those girls stand on the stage together. They're tricky. <laughs> like the, I don't know the TDS getting swept under the rug and the big picture of all the, the UTMB events. Like how was UTMB in proper in CCC? I mean, you got to hang out after and. Oh, it was incredible. And that's where it's mostly it was incredible. But, but to your point, it does feel a little bit like I just did this thing. That's like the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I was so proud and you, and everyone's like, congrats, congrats, congrats. And then like three days later, it gets totally shoved under the rug for CCC and UTMB. So that was a little bit hard, but I think TDS has enough sort of street cred that you can still feel like pretty proud that you got your bracelets on and you look at their bracelet and what color, what color bracelet are they wearing? And 
yeah you just i thought about that as soon as i cut it off but i don't know we were just such a mess you're just like uh get it off me so yeah maybe i should have left my little bracelet but you tell people you did tds and you're like oh yeah so but being able to be totally done like all the stress evaporated sort of and then just being able to go like figure out how to cheer on our friends doing ccc and utmb was was so awesome like i swore at, we kind of both did after tds i was like that was amazing i am i'm retired I am never doing that again. Like, that was amazing. I feel like I did it. I do not need to do another ultra. Definitely not this one. Like, I just don't. And then you eat your words because two and a half days later, you see a bunch of your friends have these incredible achievements in CCC. And it's just really hard not to get super fired up. And then seeing my friend Katie Scheid, like, win the whole UTMB I mean, we were just loopy and crying and it was like, you can't, you can't say never when you experience those things and watching it on TV. I think you probably felt the same way. It's just totally different when you're there in person and you can see people finishing and like feel that energy. It's amazing. Yeah. No, it's like your first time. I mean, I've been there four times and like it gets lost on you a little bit because you're like, all right. I've, I've done this and but like some of those still just like reaching the pinnacle of something like that big and, and feeling the energy in town and just watching everyone from you know you, you there's lots of things you can't understand until you're there and, and that can be everything from like what is the course really like to like what is the environment really like and yeah it's like it's truly special like you have an american bib on you on the course people can see your name they're cheering for you in like these remote regions and it's like it's part of like this race culture for an event that big where it's like, it's pretty special. And you, you come away, you know, you finish it completely gassed, but like all these little things can trigger all these emotions that you just see along the way that like make, make UTMB something that should be on like everyone's list. Yeah. And I could see, I mean, many people that many people get burned on Chamonix and say it's really touristy and it's loud. And, and I could definitely see all of those things, but for this, I've been to Chamonix a couple of times. My sister never had been. It's like, no, we're going to, we're going to stay in Chamonix and like really experience this. But yeah, you just get so fired up. We were cheering. We made this, um, this big poster with, we put Stacy's little American flag on this big poster and said USA ladies slay. And we we're just like, you can see in people's bibs and CCC and UTMB when Americans are coming through and, and like, you can just see how, it's not to be too nationalist, I think. And I think people don't think of it that way, but it's just anything, that little glimmer of like familiarity and a familiar language. And people just got so fired up when they see that here's these other Americans out there cheering for them in a sea of super or super. Uh, it was so much fun to look for all these Americans and cheer for them. And it feels like you're part of this like American team and people in general, it's not limited to, to Americans, but I, I was unprepared for that level of like national pride no, for America. No, there's total nationalism happening because you're like, you've become a little bit of a minority and yeah, it's fun. It's fun to like, yeah, I think like that's true. People, you have this like baseline connection, like a couple connections. I'm a runner and I'm like American. So yeah. It's kind yeah. of fun. So any, any other exciting things happen while you're there? I mean, like what's. Yeah, like, do you get extra 
stones for finishing TDS. No, you don't get shit for finishing TDS. <laughs> you don't even get like a like that's not going to help you get into UTMB. I don't think if so. You want, if you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, I guess it it has probably what's the um, what's your what do they call it? Your like your UTMB score, not your ranking. Mm-hmm. But there's like a world index. Here. Yes, yes, your UTMB index. But for next year, they've changed it so. You have to hit a qualifying race or yeah, you basically have five or something. Right. It's it's just made it a lot harder for a regular person with a job and a life to to aim high. So, and for because CCC, I think maybe even maybe even OCC, OCC, CCC. UTMB are part of the UTMB World Series, so top 10 of those races are qualifications. So if we had done top 10, I mean, CCC is a stacked race, so it's, I don't want to... It's it's too bad your top 10 doesn't get you back into TDS again. But top 10 at TDS does not get you anything, and top 10 at CCC and UTMB gets you entry into UTMB, so... Classic. We did the, we did the weird stepchild and have the benefits to go with that. Well, I mean, super bravo. It's like, it's a big one. Yeah. But what does it get you thinking about? Like, it's, you know, what are, you, what are you thinking about, like, now as far as what you want to do with running? That is a very complicated question. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's tough, like. I'm not old. I'm not young. We've got like some life choices to make. It's not as easy as just signing up for a race and doing it. There's qualifications and other things. Like it's a real process. So it's going to be some decision making for a few months about. Are you signed up for the blackout? Oh, good question. Not yet. Okay. Well, not yet. I'll take that. You did this. You get it. I need like a, so the day I got home Sunday night, two weeks ago and Monday was the first day of school. So that this whole thing, like had to get a little bit compartmentalized. I had to like shift to school. So it's going to be a nice little month or two of some downtime with no goals and just seeing how it goes. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I get it. It's it's exhausting. Like you stress out over nothing because you have time to worry and, and fixate. It's on like this, what kind of I have this like, and, like privileged American predict. to like fly to France and do a race that I chose to do that I can afford to do afford asterisk like, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like all this like ps- stupid stress that's entirely self inflicted. Um, for something that I want to do, I'm not, there's no, nobody cares if I f- finish or win or, right? It's like, it's all just entirely self-imposed stress to do this, this silly thing. So that's hard to grapple with all summer. And then, yeah, it's like, just, you know, you go and do the best you can, but it's hard. It's hard to explain like how much hold over my life this one race had for the whole summer. And I owe it to, uh, I owe it to others like Lincoln to maybe not stress about a race for a little bit of time. (laughs) 
well, there's a difference between like stress and like the seed of excitement over yeah. like the possibilities because like you know you have a t- you have a ton of talent and it's like how do you direct that and you can do a bunch of different things. I mean, yeah, enjoy your off season and yeah, I'm just curious if there's if this just made you swayed you one way or the other. No, I mean at the end of this, I was like 100%. I am done. I'm ready to move on, move on with life, do other stuff. Like I am done. And then three days later, it just, I can't say that anymore. So that's where I'm yeah. at. Okay. I can't say I'm, I can't say I'm done. I'm not. Uh, yeah. As far as Chamonix goes, super fun, easy. You got to run around a little bit before you broke yourself. Uh, I see why people go out for like a week or two ahead of time because people, you just can't get to Chamonix and not just run around and Stacy had never been. So yeah, I see why people go so far in advance and just run around you can't not so we did it anyway we just didn't have the time to recover from it but it's i was broken anyway so there wasn't much worse damage i was gonna do might as well just run around it's cool because i think the utmb courses give you like all these little landmarks to go and check out and then you can spin off that and whatever eventually you'll figure it all out and you'll you'll connect the big loop and but there's so many other fun places to go. So anyway, well, thanks for the race, race recap. Um, big congrats to you and Stacy. Um, I hope this isn't the last we see of the American Marion sisters, um, tying races together. Um, it'd be fun to, to see you guys continue, uh, the streak somewhere. Else. I will say we went through some serious sister mental mountains in this process i will say there were there were some fun times leading up to this there were some tears the week before a lot of tears a lot of like hating on each other but we came out like crying to say bye to one another like crying in the airport in iceland saying bye to one another which is like not a thing that we've ever cried over saying bye to one another before so it was the whole the whole arc of every single emotion but i i do think we've realized that like maybe I don't think this is the end of things we do together, but but I don't know that we're going to try to run a race together again. <laughs> yeah, you say that, but it's like you went through some shit. I mean, you went through like these are these. There's a lot you can't races. control. It could happen you, again. You can't hide out there. Yeah. So, well, congrats. Congrats again to uh, both of you and look forward to whatever next you guys uh, get into. So. Um, appreciate the time. Thanks, Andrew. And thanks, Lincoln, in the background, wherever he is, for hopefully making this audio sound amazing. I know. I hope I lived up to his expectations. I think you went to bed, but I'll have him help me with it tomorrow. Mm-hmm.